in the 1880s, there was a thriving congregation in North Philadelphia called Grace Baptist Church. Uh, This was was pastored by a preacher named Russell Conwell. Uh, Their church was not far from here. It was on Burke Street, and it was busting at the seams with people. Uh, Their Sunday morning services were full. Their kids' Sunday school school was, was full. And this church, they determined that they needed to buy a new church building. Uh, for Sunday school one day in this season, this is 1886 when things were busting in full at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, the pastor, Russell Conwell, he walked by where the Sunday school was happening and he saw there was a crowd of kids outside that couldn't, and they couldn't make their way in because it was so crowded. And he particularly saw one uh, girl in the, who, whose family was part of the congregation who looks timid and hesitant towards the outside and didn't want to go in. And her name, um, her name was Hattie Mae Wyatt. Conwell, he stooped down and he talked to her and she said that she wanted to go in, but she was nervous to go in because it seemed so crowded. And he comforted her and he lifted her up on his shoulders. He carried her into the building and helped her, helped her find like a, a spot in the corner for the Sunday school. He, then the following day, Conwell went to uh, her family's house just to check in because they lived really close to the church building at that time. And while he was checking with the family, he had a brief conversation with then, she was, I think, five or six years old, uh, Hattie. He, he told her, Hattie, we're going to have a larger Sunday room, school room soon. And Hattie responded, I hope you will. It's so crowded that I'm afraid to go alone. To which Conwell replied, when we get the money with which to build a school building, we will build the one big enough for all of the little children to come in. And very soon, Hattie, we're going to begin to raise money for it. Not long after that, sadly, Hattie got sick. And even Conwell went over to their house to pray, pray for her and their family. Um, but sadly, Hattie died of that sickness at the age of six. And after she died, her parents um, came to Conwell, the pastor, and said that um, in her, her last, last months, Hattie had begun saving up money to go towards the new church building. And they handed, and the, her parents handed him 57 cents that she had started to save up. Counting inflation, a gift of 57 cents, actually from 1886 to today, would actually be closer to like probably $20, which for a six-year-old is a pretty extravagant gift. That following Sunday, Conwell took that 57 cents and he, 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 put, he held it in front of the congregation and he held it up as the first donation that would go towards Grace Baptist Church, a new building. He then divided that 57 cents into individual pennies and he sold them to people who were willing to pay a lot more for them. And he raised hundreds of dollars that way. Those, most of those people gave the pennies back to him and he repeated the process. And it was basically the basis of that that church raising funds to build a new building. And eventually when they bought the property where their, their new building would be, the, guy, the seller was so moved by the story that he accepted 57 cents as like the first payment on the space. The church would later be called Baptist Temple. And these buildings that they bought would later be the first meeting places for Temple University. Um, Conwell was the founder and the first president of Temple, actually. God built whole future institutions that are with us to this day. Some of the temple buildings, the buildings that are part of the temple health system were from these, these original fundraisers in the late 19th century. 
All of this came from a small yet extravagant gift from the heart of a small girl. God multiplied the gift beyond all earthly imagination. And we see a similar kind of free will offering from the heart for the future in our passage today in Exodus. We see contributions for a sanctuary, for the tabernacle. And drawing from this passage, I want to call us this morning, looking forward to March 17th, which will be our pledge day, I want us to begin considering what our contributions for the sanctuary will be as we renovate on Lehi Ave. And I have two points today drawing from this passage. First off, contributions from the heart. And then second off, contributions for the future. Contributions for the heart. Uh, so the background to this long passage that we just read, uh, the uh, if you're not familiar with the story of the book of Exodus, in the passages before this, the 34 chapters before this, the people of Israel have been enslaved for many generations in the land of Egypt. And God raises up Moses to deliver the people of Egypt from the land of the people of Israel from Egypt from the land of slavery. They, you know, there's the 10 plagues which are famous. They they cross through the Red Sea. There's this amazing story of deliverance. They go into the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai and they receive the law at the foot of Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they receive instructions for building the tabernacle. These people are former slaves. They have some livestock and some possessions. Of course, we see that in this passage. They had some riches from their time in Egypt. If you read Exodus, you'll see there are ways they accumulated some riches. But for the most part, these are a people that that what they have is what they can carry on their backs. They're living in tents. This is not a meeting of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Heck, this isn't even a meeting of middle-class folks. These are former slaves. This is not an ideal fundraising demographic. But it is striking also how diverse this group of people is. You can see this based on the diversity of things that they offer in the contribution. Verse 22, it says, so they came, both men and women. The text highlights that a lot of ways, that men and women both came and offered contributions and gave their gifts. Some of them had acacia wood, some had brooches, some had armlets, some had spices, some had yarns and linens. Some were skilled at building, others were skilled at weaving. It's it's not only remarkable how much this people provide, but that they each provide so uniquely from a place of each of their own hearts, their own skills. Each family had something unique to contribute to the building of the sanctuary that they drew from their own tents. This is a really important point when thinking about contributions from the heart. The amount of what these people give is not the center of this passage. Rather, the focus is on the heart behind their contributions. We, the, the, um, the text draws particular attention to this. Um, at the beginning, it, at, the, at the command to do it, Moses says, whoever is of a generous heart, let him make the Lord's contribution. On the top of the second page of this passage, you can see that the next passage I'll read, which is really, this is really the, the, the climactic scene. It's in, it's in verse 21, if you have your Bibles open. It says, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, 
and everyone whose spirit moved him. Later on, it says, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches. And then towards the end, all whose heart moved them. Clearly, God's command to the Israelites in this passage is a heck of a lot more than a fundraiser or a stuff raiser. God's not treating the the people of Israel like they're ATM machines, who he just punches in a button of commands and they spit out the, the things that are needed. He's calling them to make contributions from a place of worship, from the innermost place of their heart, from their love for God. This is a spiritual command with material implications, not the other way around. Not a material, give me your stuff for the purpose of getting spiritual benefits. Do you hear the difference there? The sanctuary, the tabernacle, will be built from the contributions of people's, from people's hearts. If you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, um, or you're looking, I feel like you're looking on the outside in with Christianity, I particularly want you to understand and grasp this point that I'm making right now. You happen to step into a church today while we are in an initiative to raise pledges to renovate and pay off a building. Uh, There are few bad words. I can tell you that it feels like bad words to me. Probably it's to you too. There are a few like combinations of bad words out there like capital campaign. And I won't presume to speak for you But I can tell you, if I was in your shoes, I would feel a bit icky. Isn't this always what Christian leaders do, you may think? They wield their spiritual power to get people's money and line their own pockets. And I happen to come for this Sunday. Let me first say that there's no point in denying this. There absolutely are leaders out there who speak the name of Christ and have used their influence to take advantage of people. They have private jets, you know. They're real. The worst part about such things, such activity, it isn't even primarily the money. It's that leaders manipulate people spiritually to get their money. It's even more violating than that. They fiddle with people's hearts. God, through the voice of Moses, is clearly not doing that in this passage. We don't know if there are people who opted out of this contribution. It's unclear. But it is clear that only those who felt moved in their heart gave. Moses doesn't cajole them. He doesn't guilt them. He doesn't beg them. He doesn't make fake spiritual guarantees. They weren't tricked or duped. They got to see the construction of the literal tabernacle. Indeed, some of them got to help build it with their own hands. This wasn't a gift to just increase digits in some anonymous bank account, but to build something that they would see every day. And I pray that as we go through Project Sanctuary, that it will be like what we see in this passage. Specifically, that our Pledge Sunday will look something like this as we look towards that. Pledge Sunday is going to be on March 17th, four weeks from today. And there, there are envelopes out there. I was going to bring an envelope up here with me to show you all. But um, if none of you were here last week, we have a, a box full of 
uh, envelopes for every person who came today, member, or if you're visiting for the first time, um, that has just information about what Project Sanctuary is. And in there, there is a specific pledge card um, that you, you can tuck in an, in an envelope and will be given anonymously. And on March 17th, we will collect pledges. Um, and I'm hoping that Pledge Sunday will look something like what we see in this passage. And like in this passage, I, I pray that, that people from very different families will give offerings and that their contributions, this is the key point, will be from their heart before God. If you hear anything from me today, hear this. I don't want you to pledge one cent more than how God leads you and your family in prayer in your own homes. I don't want one cent more than that. The corollary is also true. I also don't want you to pledge one cent less than God leads you and your own heart. Believe me, I, I think you should pledge to give to this project. I think because of, it, because of this project, I think in the future many, there will be many people who don't know Jesus who will come to know him in this space. I, I think that it will be our church's first family home that will be ours. I think that it will be a refuge for our neighbors and for youth for years and years to come. I think, I think, you should pledge. But what I think has no weight compared to how God leads your own heart. None. No weight. I, I trust him, guys. And I think our leaders, too, I can say this for them. We trust God with this. We trust him to lead us. And we trust him, I trust him to lead each of your own hearts as we look towards that Sunday. I trust you guys. We trust your hearts. Con the, uh, for to make these contributions from the heart, like we see in this passage, each family coming from their own tent. But I do want to, I want to pause here between points before I move into my second point about contributions for the future. I want to do the same thing we did last week and interrupt my sermon uh, by having a time of sharing a couple of stories about so a couple of families um, that have given from this project or are going to pledge to give um, from the heart. So first off, I'm going to invite up Glenn McDowell uh, to, to share their story. Hi, it's good to be with you. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Glenn McDowell, city pastor here, just uh, elected to be installed as a associate pastor instead of an assistant pastor, but it's a privilege to be with you. And Connie and I have been part of Liberty Church um, from the very beginning. We were part of the launch team uh, before we started the, the first Liberty Worship Service uh, 20, about 22 years ago, uh, so it's been a privilege to be with you. And... Um, let me just uh, point out that Project Sanctuary, Sanctuary uh, doesn't primarily refer to a building. Uh, we, God's people, are his sanctuary. Uh, so the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Testament uh, temple, uh, and any church building uh, is only a picture of the reality, which is the reality is we are God's temple. Uh, we are his building uh, in the world. Uh, 
where we worship him and where we bring witness to the watching world. <laughs> I've not always been a fan of churches buying or building their own buildings. Uh, I favored churches making it a higher kingdom priority to invest in church planting, both locally and globally. Uh, so, and even taking that position, uh, it's cost me in terms of some of my relationships and even roles that I've had throughout my years of ministry. Uh, but this time, at this time, I believe that investing in this building for Liberty Riverwards Church is a wise kingdom investment uh, that, because it'll position us to bring a significant holistic impact in the neighborhood that can benefit our neighbors economically, socially, and spiritually. Uh, for example, as we take more ownership and responsibility in our neighborhood as a property owner, we have more credibility to think holistically about job creation through encouraging local businesses. This can result in those who are in poverty, poverty to be able to work, support their families, be homeowners, and dream about their, even their grandchildren growing up as their neighbors because families love the beauty of the community. The gospel can bring big picture changes. I'm going to talk about money because it's something I think about. I realize that how we spend, save, and give away money is at the core of our identity. Jesus tells us in Luke 12, don't be concerned about what to eat, what to drink. Don't worry about such things. Your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. There your treasure will be safe. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. In other words, the things that you value most, it could be your reputation or your comfort or your financial security, those things will dictate the desires of your heart, and those desires are your passions. Jesus is saying... No pandemic, no stock market crash, crash, no unemployment, no business failure can destroy your kingdom treasure. So God gave his ancient people of Israel a pattern for giving. Uh, so you think I'm going to talk about tithing. Uh, yes, tithing is biblical pr principle, but actually uh, giving by God's people in ancient Israel was often called giving our first fruits. In Deuteronomy 26, we read, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and settle there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the place of worship. Afterward, you may go up and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites, the refugees, and immigrants living among you in the celebration. Author Tim Keller points out that when we offer to God our offerings, we're giving him the first fruits, not waiting to see if we have any left over. First fruits in Israel were literally the first of the crops of the vines and trees before they knew how big the harvest would be. So it was an act of faith and of worship, trusting that God would provide for their family, whether they were going to have a big crop or a small crop or no crops the rest of that season. <clears throat> This prioritizes giving even when we do not know if we will have income next week 
or before we plan our vacation or plan buying a car or a house or dinner at the new restaurant. Uh, let me make this uh, personal to, to me and Connie. Uh, with Terry Davis now as executive director of Philadelphia Gospel Movement, I'm no longer on the paid staff of PGM, and Connie is retired. I received no salary from October through January, although I do hope to raise support in the coming year to receive some salary. Uh, we do receive Social Security payments, but presently the only way we can give to the building campaign in any significant way would be if we took a chunk of money out of our retirement account, reducing what is there for future years of income. And that is what we have decided to do. And we are much at peace about that. Our future financial security is in God's hands. We know that God is calling us to partner with you all as best we can now because investing in the lives of those who live in this neighborhood is the best investment we can make. We are giving the first fruits of our retirement account because our Father already knows our needs. We believe that when we seek the kingdom of God above all else, he will give us everything we need. Uh, let me just point out a fallacy that, that I and any of us can fall into, and that is, now is not a good time to make a financial commitment. I'm a student, or I'm saving for a wedding, or for buying a house, or for children's expenses. When my income is higher, I can make a three-year commitment. Actually, uh, research shows that Americans find it harder to tithe and to give. Uh, more, it's harder as their income increases. Research data shows that the poorest American Christians give away the highest percentage of their income, and the percentage decreases as wealth increases. Giving to kingdom work is not easier when your income is bigger. But giving is easier and a joy when you plan and give consistently because it flows out of your kingdom values. God also knows your situation, and for some uh, now, is the time to receive from others rather than to give. If, if you're in a, a difficult situation financially, it may be better for the church to help you for a season, uh, which our deacon team would be glad to talk with you about. But for most of us, this may be the time in our lives when we should make radical decisions and give generously, sacrificially, maybe as never before, uh, maybe even out of our savings as well as out of our income. It's also a time to model for those of us who have children, to model for our children uh, how to give. Our financial support, Liberty River Words, is a unique and powerful opportunity to live as the very presence of Jesus in this neighborhood. If it were not for our church, some of you would not even live in our city. But because you do, we are having a huge kingdom impact here already. We're just seeing the first fruits of the gospel, bringing redemptive changes to this neighborhood to flourish spiritually economically and culturally you're sowing and investing generously now and over the next three years and our present campaign will put us in the position to empower us to launch initiatives in this neighborhood along with urban worship center and with other churches in the river wards initiatives that deeply align with the compassionate heart of jesus let's give of our first fruits may god give you joy in giving because they're actually his first fruits Thank you, Glenn. Um, uh, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing donations for like in our Advent drive and around then come, come into the account. And uh, uh, when the McDowells gave, uh, 
it uh, made me cry. Um, uh, because it made no earthly sense. Not a lick of earthly sense. Um, the second story I want to share for, about a, a, for a family that's thinking about making a pledge is my own family. Um, I got to go a ways back to tell you about how I'm, we're making this pledge, Alyssa and, and me. Uh, we, many years ago, this would have been uh, 14 years ago between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was able to go on an amazing trip. I got to study abroad in Spain and then go backpacking for around three weeks around Europe with some of my best high school buddies. It's a time of my life and really formative for me. Uh, a couple years later, when I was a junior in college, I, I met and started dating my wife, the future wife, Alyssa. And uh, I was, we were both students at Penn. And I, being a nerd, I, uh, I had a very nerdy fear in my relationship with Alyssa. And my, uh, I was afraid that we would run out of things to talk about. So what I would do is, uh, before going on dates with her, I remember doing it before my first date with Alyssa in January of 2012. I wrote out questions on a note card of questions I wanted to ask her. And I carried it in my pocket, and I, I walking over to her, I, I looked at my note card multiple times to make sure that I knew the questions I was going to ask her. Larry made fun of me and said it was like I was cramming for a date. <laughs> um, it's a very Penn student thing to do. And... Uh, but I remember very distinctly my coming off of, you know, a couple years previously having gone on this amazing trip, my questions for her, the first few were about places that she wanted to travel to one day um, and places that she traveled to in the past. And it's something from the very beginning of our relationship that we've treasured and longed for. Alyssa's never been able to go across the pond like I was able to, which was just felt like such a privilege for me. So, like, pretty early on in our relationship as we became more serious, it became, we, like, have been looking forward to the day that, hey, maybe one day we can go to Europe together. And we're, we haven't had the means to do it. When we had our honeymoon, we, we got a generous gift, but it was, it was enough for us to have a, a cool trip, like up the coast to, to Maine and to Quebec City, but it wasn't enough to get over there across the pond. Um, so a number of years ago, we've started up a mutual fund and uh, started putting money in it, money in it every single month and have started to watch as that account's grown. And the hope for that is we say, hey, as the kids get older, in 10 years, 15 years, um, we will have like this, this account, which will be ready for us to, to go and have probably a pretty you know, extravagant trip, like saving over the long run to prepare for it. Um, and when this project, when Project Sanctuary came up, um, Alyssa and I, for a time, prayed, and asked ourselves if we should give up that, all the money that we'd saved in that account. And I can tell you, the conversations were not always easy. It felt like pulling teeth. Um, and yet, we ultimately felt led to dump out that account, virtually all of it, to be the foundation of our pledge that will go towards Project Sanctuary. Um, it'll be the... The, the foundation of a pledge in which we'll, we'll pile more of a pledge. Uh, some of your, I think most of your families are probably like mine, where you, you can't do a, a lump sum at the beginning, but you could have a big impact looking at over the next three years. And that's what we're going to do on top of the foundation of what was in that account. And I hope you hear in that my, the first point I'm making in this sermon, right, is that it's not about the amount. This gift for our, from Alyssa and me is not about the amount. 
Uh, it's about what the thing is. And it's us saying, we still would love to do that one day. Um, but we're going to trust, if, if it's in God's will for us to do it, that he'll provide in different ways in the future. But this, we're going to set aside to give. It's an offering from our heart. Let me continue the sermon. The second point I have coming from this passage in Exodus 35 is that these are sanctuary contributions for the future. Um, One thing we can see in this chapter is that it's clear what the contributions would build. It's tactile. From their contributions, there will be a tent covering hooks, frames, bars, pillars, bases, an ark, poles, the mercy seat, a veil, tables, a table, utensils, a lampstand, oil, altar, incense, screen, a basin, pegs, cores, and priestly garments. It's very tactile. Their contributions are not just filling some random bank account, but are building a literal thing. Furthermore, it's a literal thing that will last for generations after them. The tabernacle would be a place of worship for their children and their children's children. They're making an offering that would endure, a contribution for the future. Similar to the, my, how I opened with um, Hattie Mae Wyatt and her little gift, which contributed, which impacted thousands upon thousands after her. There are some in this passage who, who contributed to the tabernacle and may have only seen the tabernacle for a few years before their own death. But it would have impacted for decades and decades the lives who came out of those who came after them. I hope that Project Sanctuary will follow these same contours. Our pledges will renovate a literal thing, a literal building. Uh, many of you have already, already gave so generously during our Advent drive. Those gifts paid for dumpsters. They paid for tools. They paid for demolition, for the labor required to do it. Your gifts paid for us to bring on an architect to begin surveying the space. Your gifts paid for structural engineers to continue surveying the space. Looking ahead, these pledges on March 17th, what will they pay for? Walls, floors, wiring, toilets, sinks, valves, drain pipes, outlets, insulation, ductwork, doors, paint, finishes, sprinklers, and an elevator as well as the labor, the tools, the permits, and the insurance needed to do this work. It'll be for a literal thing. Your pledges, I pray, will go towards something which will last into the future, like Hattie's gift, her heart offering. Here's here's a fact. Some of you will not be here in five years. It's just a fact. It's just how, how life works in any church. Your job may require you to move somewhere else. You may have to move to be closer to family, any number of things. Some of us may even die in the next five years. Our pledges will go towards a sanctuary that I pray will be a refuge for many besides just us. For many after us thinking about how this is a, a, a gift for the future. It's, this is why it's so important that I grounded thing, I, I want to ground things in how this is a contribution from the heart before God. Because ultimately, our pledges, they aren't even about us. It's about giving God something that will bless others more than it will even bless us. It's a gift to God, a gift to our brothers and sisters in the church, a gift to our neighbors, not a transaction for our benefit. 
This is my prayer. Is for those of us whom God calls to be somewhere else in the next five years, that you'd come back, you'd return from wherever you've gone to visit Liberty and, wor- and worship on Lehigh Ave. You'd look around at the church and you'd see new faces. And you'd realize that the, your pledge ministered to people that you didn't even know. Let me conclude by talking about the most important thing of all. Why in the world should you give from your heart to God? Why in the world should you pledge anything that's for the future, especially a future that's not your own? All other reasons and motivations will eventually fail you. Peer pressure, guilt, because you're intellectually convinced, just a secular altruism to try and earn, to try and to be a good person, trying to earn the approval of God and man. These things ultimately will break down. The math won't add up. The only reason it ultimately makes sense to give is because we see how much God gave for us in the person of Jesus Christ. No one has ever offered a contribution from the heart as much as Jesus did. Ever. No one has ever offered a contribution for the future like Jesus did. Ever. Let me tell you the gospel. On our own, we were enemies of God. We weren't just basically good people who were mistaken. Nope. We were people who in our heart of hearts hated God and rebelled against his ways. All of us. As the Psalms say, no one is righteous, no, not one. It would have been just for God to destroy us or to leave us to our own devices as we destroyed ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son in the form of a servant into poverty. Though he had every reason to abandon the human race, Jesus instead loved us, healed us, taught us. And in the greatest contribution from the heart for the future in human history, Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He bore our sins in his body so that we could be covered and cleansed and made new and reborn. Jesus, of his own will, doing what was from his own heart, left his sanctuary in heaven and suffered the death of a criminal on a cross, a cursed death, so that we could receive forgiveness and ultimately join him in sanctuary with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and for all eternity. This isn't an addendum to this sermon. It's actually laced throughout all of it. Any giving from the heart, any giving for the future, only makes sense when we look towards Jesus' cross. It is the radioactive core of all giving. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, and this is where I will end. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.